Welcome to this episode of the Million Dollar Mastermind. I'm Larry Wydell, and let's get started. I am here today with a great friend of mine, a inspirational leader. Uh, he's got something in his makeup to where he can express things and people can understand them. And that's why it's just so much fun to talk to him. And I recently had him on a business call, and I didn't tell him, but I just really enjoyed it because it was so much fun listening to him talk and explain things that I explain and talk about all the time. But it's just so much more fun hearing it from him. And uh, <laughs> help me welcome uh, He's now a two-plus million-dollar earner and climbing offices all over the United States. He's an entrepreneur. He's a leader. He's a builder. He's a communicator, a trainer, and uh, has had success in many different areas of life. So help me welcome Gary Cornegie. Hello, Gary. Hey, hey, Larry. How you doing, man? Good seeing you. Good talking to you. And I'm excited about this conversation we're going to have today. Yeah, and are, are you still out in San Diego, uh, California now, L.A., San Diego? Yeah, yeah, I'm in my home here in Beverly Hills, California. Yes, sir. You're, you're in Beverly Hills? Yes, sir. Okay, Beverly Hills. You're in the hills. Just yes, sitting there, yes. just chilling in your house. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy, the, enjoy, hey, enjoying this pandemic <laughs> and this environment. <laughs> if you still got to do a pandemic, do it in Beverly Hills, please. <laughs> So, Gary, what what's most astounding to you about your life today that you're most grateful for? And don't hold back because you don't want to feel like bragging. Just talk from your eyes about how you see your life and how amazing it's become and is and, the, you know, the opportunities in front of you. Uh, and then we get back to where you came from. But, you know, where are you today in life? You know, what kind of life is this other than we know you're in Beverly Hills? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, geographically, obviously, when you say Beverly Hills, people kind of know, you know, your lifestyle has to be above the average to even say that you live in Beverly Hills. So that's that goes without saying. But the most important part is I live like I'm on vacation every day, Larry. I, for real. OK, I have 30 staff members that work for me and my family around the clock, um, from doormen to personal assistants to people who wash my car, gas my car, go grocery shopping for me, you know, you name it. You know, take um, my wife to the doctor or take me to a meeting with you, uh, have a technology department. So my life today is like I'm on vacation, but every day. You know, I was just in Cabo, San Lucas, at the home there in Mexico on the beach there, and we were there for a week with our children, adult children, and I told my wife when I was in Cabo, Larry, I go, honey, I can't wait to go home. You know what I'm saying? Because home, <laughs> home is a vacation. You know, it's like you leave home to go on vacation, and then about three days into the vacation, Larry, you relate to this, you know, my house yeah. where I'm going is, is, is better than where I'm at right now. Yeah. And so I couldn't wait to go home for the vacation. Yeah. So, yeah, so our life, obviously, is a, a story uh, tell. Um, been with my wife now 37 years. We have two beautiful children. They're doing very well in their um, marriages and their business that they have as well. And so, yeah, I, 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 I pinch myself all the time 
But I think the biggest thing, Larry, is I was able to grow a business from nothing and, can, and still keep my family intact. That was important for me. You know, at the end of the day was to keep my family intact and not jeopardize my relationship with my wife or have estranged children because I was pursuing success, whatever that is to people. So I think that's my biggest thing today. And the thing is, uh, uh, let's talk about your kids real quick. Uh, you got Gary Jr. Is does he go yes, by sir. Gary Jr.? He's uh, G2, Gary the second. Deuce. Yeah, Deuce. G1, G2. G1, G2. Now, uh, and your other child? Yeah, my daughter. Yeah, she's 21, and she actually is an artist. So she has an on, online really? you know, gallery, artist gallery that she has online, and she spends all of her day in her beautiful condo in downtown Georgia, um, as a 21-year-old, painting and, and doing things and putting them online for sale. Well, what do is have her uh, text me that gallery, and uh, okay. I'll put it I'll put it on here and uh, and uh, tell her about my Axion gallery and maybe she and I can have some phone calls and uh, maybe I can stop by and see her gallery when I come to Atlanta. But yeah, the, absolutely. So she, she lives in the art district, so in her high rise she lives in. She's on the 23rd floor. On the bottom floor of that high rise, they have office space for art galleries. So she has the benefit of living and also having her own art gallery, brick and mortar, and also mostly, because she's 21, it's mostly online. Now, when you moved back to, uh, you moved to Atlanta and were living there for a while, was that to help get her situated? Was that related? Yeah, yeah. we have a home at the Chateau Line as a family home okay. that we all go to. Yeah. So that's our main headquarters. I'm right there on the golf course out there. But I live in Beverly Hills. My kids live. My son lives in Alpharetta, Georgia. My daughter lives in downtown Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, but we all congregate at the house at the Chateau. Where, where, where is the art district in Atlanta? Uh, it's right there in Midtown. Midtown. Midtown or that Midtown thing, yes. Yeah. That's a new Midtown. Yeah, that's a go-go area. So yeah. uh, right north of Georgia Tech, where I, that's right. She's I, right there. Where I spent five miserable years. Uh, <laughs> But I got the degree. It's done. I was not going to let them drum me out of the core without getting a degree. So, uh, and plus I never wanted to go back, you know, (laughs) get it and be done with it. But, uh, that's wonderful to see this is happening, how your life is playing out through your kids, because we're never guaranteed that. And, uh, what I hear from you is, you know, the good things in your life are results of decisions. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. A friend, uh, my son was down in my, many years ago, uh, down had, and brought a friend from North Carolina down with him. And they were doing all kind of stuff in uh, the Palm Beach area. So they came by my townhouse and his friend said, man, it smells good in here, you know. And I don't know, just off the cuff, I said, yeah, that's by design, you know. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I wanted to smell good when, in my house. You know, I've got things set up to where when I walk in, I want my house to smell good. Right. And, but I, it was just kind of off the top, the cuff comment, you know. But that really registered with my son, Adam. It was just like, if you want good things in your life, just make a decision. Yeah, right, right. And I hear what I'm hearing with you, and what people can learn from this is, you know, you you focus 
when you're starting out, it's so easy to focus on what you don't have and disadvantage everything. But what you do have is the right to make decisions about the kind of future you want to have. I mean, you can set your parameters. You can set your course, even though you're just getting started on your course. You can draw the line and say, this is what I'm going to have. You know, if I'm going to have success and I'm going to get where I want to go in life, I'm going to have this. I'm going to have my family together, you know, right. I, I, and, and talk about uh, uh, where, where, where that came from and, and why, that, why that was a priority right from the beginning. Okay, sure. But, you know, Larry, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. So my dad, you know, was a pastor. My mom was also in the ministry as well. So my entire life, you know, before I moved on and got my own place and I was living with my parents, you know, seven days a week, my parents were out doing the work of God, right? And they were into community activism, feeding the homeless, dealing with drug addictions, dealing with people who had marital problems, alcohol abuse. So that was a common thing. But at the same time, Larry, okay, the blessing was that, the curse was my parents were always helping other people's kids and forgot about us. Uh, <laughs> See that? And so three yeah. of my, so I'm one of four boys. So three of my brothers, which is 100% of my siblings, basically ended up going to the streets, you oh, know? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. And so, so my dad, you know, felt like he was a failure as a preacher because three of his four boys were doing the street work, the outlaw stuff. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm not going to be a businessman and become successful and lose my family trying to help somebody else's family become financially independent. Right. So I, I made a conscious decision, as you mentioned, to chart my own life and say, wherever I go, my wife goes. Wherever we go, our kids go. And if they can't go, then we're not going to go. You know, and we made a commitment to do that. But that continuity... Uh, people think, you know, well, you're talking about family, wonderful. But the deal is you need to make that a priority because if you're going to be successful in life, it's going to take all of the energy you've got. And it's yes. going to it's going to be a fight. And you're going to be challenged. You're going to come up with solutions. And you're going to deal with things. And you got to stay on your feet. Now, that's hard enough. Uh, if you're – but – it becomes, I don't even know how people do it when they've got kids in drug rehab or they've got kids that just somehow they just screw around and create problems. Maybe they don't get into drugs and they don't do anything of the, the things that get them in trouble with the law, but they just somehow are always creating issues for the parents. And right. the mom and the dad have got to carry that. It's, you know, if you're a parent, you just can't forget about the stuff that's happening right. to your kids, right. you know, and uh, uh, just no, just having that together has allowed you to maintain continuity and consistency to allow your business to compound because you, you're not sidetracked in a lot of different, because right. I imagine your father uh, spent a lot of his time uh dealing with situations with your three brothers. Would that absolutely, say? Uh, absolutely right. It was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde lifestyle for him, yeah. you know, because obviously he's in the pulpit on Sunday, but there's been many Sundays where he had to step out of the pulpit to go 
and bail out his son at the police department. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Right. And, and and so that was always that 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 lifestyle that that he was preaching. You know, it was haunting him through his own boys, if that makes sense, to see if he maybe that was his challenge, or maybe that was his quest with God to prove to him, God proved to him that I'm going to challenge your own sons right. to see if you stay yeah. the course. Yeah. You know, I don't know the, the, if that's the truth or not, but that's what I'm thinking. But I personally did not want to do that with my family. Yeah. And, and what kind of uh, mindset did you start? I mean, were you middle class, upper middle class? Uh, you know, preachers never get paid anything, you know, and... Uh, uh, at least not there, not back in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, back in, and uh, most of them, you know, you have the, uh, you have the, 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 the TV stars and all, but a lot right. of them don't make any money either, you know, right. and uh, of course they're not in it for the money, I understand right. that, but, you know, congregations usually do a really bad job of taking care of the pastor with financial planning, pension, health right. plans and doesn't exist much less the poor associate pastors right. and yeah. those of y'all that are in churches i challenge you to take a look at those people and see if you can do better <laughs> to support uh, them you know right. and i really cha you know you're looking to mission fields and the other side of the world how about taking care of your own that are right. working with your kids and your family every week you know uh in full-time ministry yeah. but right. the, th the thing is you growing up, there's probably a lot of pressure on you to go. There probably a lot of there, preachers' kids have a lot of special pressures on them anyway, and yeah. so talk about what kind of situation you came out of as you were coming out and what you thought your potential was, and that you could kind of aspire to. You know, things that you wanted to do and things you aspired to do, but you know. Maybe uh, that was in your mind at that point. It was kind of a uh, a long shot. Let's say. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Larry. Uh, my dad is from North Carolina. My mom is from Sweetport, Louisiana, and they migrated to the West Coast in the 1950s um, to get away what they was perceived as Jim Crow, and you know that right. language. Yeah. And so they wanted to get away from that. So they came over here to California. And actually, to be honest with you, found it was actually worse in California than it was actually, you know, in North Carolina. But yeah. the point is, is that but my dad bought his first home in 1961. He was renting from a man and he used to cut his grass. And then he'd take the lawnmower and cut the next door neighbor's grass as well, because he was already cutting the grass yeah. you know, for himself. And his, guy, his neighbor was an older guy, right. older than 70 years old. My dad's 30 years old. He used to cut this man's grass. And when that man one day walked to my father and said, Mr. Cornegate, would you like to buy the house you're renting? And my father said, Mr. Sabo, a Jewish guy, Mr. Sabo, um, I don't have any money to buy a house. He goes, Jimmy, I didn't ask you if you had any money. I asked if you wanted to buy the home. And my father said, well, how would I do that? He says, I'll carry it along for you. And he sold my dad the first home. And that started the process of having having a middle-class lifestyle because now my mom's in school to be a teacher. My dad married my mother, Larry. He was 34. She was 19. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was in college 
um, getting her education to be a school teacher. And they got married young. And then he ended up moving into this place that he rented. Then he ended up owning the house, thank God, Mr. Sabo. And then when Mr. Sabo died, he gave my father the house that he lived in. So now wow. we have two homes on the same block. Wow. So we grew up lower middle class. We weren't poor, you know, we weren't rich, but we were right at that, that lower middle class. And then my dad started renting out the homes that he ended up buying more to the church members in the church. They would be his tenants. So my dad had multiple properties and apartment um, well, duplexes and fourplexes that he would rent. So I grew up not privileged, but I've never been broke a day of my life. I don't even know his life. And the thing is that the lesson there is, uh, number one, work. <laughs> and opportunity. if you work, you're going to stand out because most people are lazy and they don't work. Right, but right, just yes, by so you... working, and then if you do a good job with your work, uh-huh. somehow opportunities come along. Now, that might not have sounded like a big opportunity, but right. if... Mr. Sabo had not noticed how your father carried himself, how he put his energy into it, how meticulous he was, conscientious he was. He was not going to loan him any money because he knew he wouldn't get paid back. Exactly. Right. right. And so he did his own background check just by watching him work in the yard, you know? And it's funny, my uh, grandfather who started off a sharecropper in South Georgia basically got his hundred acres and house the same way, you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's the way they did back then. The handshake was really more than the contract, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. one, I will say this about, uh, uh, you know, the African-American uh, uh, Caucasian relationship in the South, in the farmland, uh, you know, they did have the separation and some of that, you know, I, even when I was, Probably I remember seeing it some in the uh, uh, growing up. I can't remember specifically, but it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been uh, unheard of. But in terms of relationship, I mean, you had to get out in the fields and work. <laughs> and so when it came time to to plant or to crop, you know, crop tobacco, bale the hay or whatever, you'd go around the neighborhood and gather up anybody you could, white, black, whatever, uh, you know, uh, anybody who needed work. I mean, they'd be, you know, there'd be uh, African-Americans out there along with my uh, uh, 60-year-old grandmother picking cotton, you know. Right. This is before before they had the, ba- the, 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 the cotton pickers and automated yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I spent a couple of uh, miserable weeks out there as a little kid doing that too. And, <laughs> yeah. and but, uh, but hey, it's I'm like every, every everybody was in the same boat, you know. Yeah, and when right. you get in a lot of these other areas, you feel like, well, you know, discrimination didn't exist. Uh, yes, it does because there is never, uh, you know, life didn't force the interaction. Like it did in a lot of the rural areas, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, and so that's why it might have been more severe in areas where you f- feel like, you know, uh, shouldn't exist at all. You know, it wasn't just a thing in the South. Uh, right. Uh, it, it wasn't. Yeah. My dad discovered that, by the way. He left the South thinking that he was running from something and ran into a different form of discrimination. If that yeah, makes sense. Right. You know? So he was disappointed. He told me personally that he was disappointed 
you know, because he felt like I was better off in North Carolina where it was it was obvious, you yeah. know, versus the hidden hand game. Right. He didn't like that. Yeah. You know? Well, tell me what. So what did your attitude? You know, you you weren't starving. Uh, you didn't feel like you were in the uh, 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 covered up it with with shootings and drug addicts on your porch and everything. So. You know, you're coming up, you're going to school, you're getting your grades. Uh, what was in your mind? What was your motivation? What do you think was the initial propulsion that caused you to move up and start to separate yourself from that environment to where wow. you are today? Well, I, you know, Larry, that's a very, very powerful question you asked, and me at least, because out of my three brothers, four of us, 1976-ish, they started the busing program, where they take these inner city kids, regardless of race, inner city kids, they would send them out to these schools in the suburbs. And so my parents, for some reason, Larry, I still don't know why this day, sent me on that bus to the suburbs, but not my three brothers, okay? Oh. So now here I am in elementary school, pretty much, where I'm sixth grade. I'm going to a whole new community, a whole new neighborhood, meeting people from all different walks of life, but I'm in the suburbs. I'm not in the hood, okay? So my exposure changed when I was probably about maybe eight or nine years old. I started seeing the world differently than my brothers, okay? And that shifted my thinking, you know, like, wow, I can do anything I want. I can have anything I want, you know? I can live in this neighborhood. I can live in this neighborhood. Yeah, I got to get my money right to do it. Right. But it was no more isolation of South Central LA. My yeah. world expanded. There's something to seeing it with your own eyes. You can see it on, a lot of people say they saw it on television and that opened up their minds to a different way of life. They didn't have to be, you know, go to the factories if they were in Pennsylvania uh, or mm-hmm. go to the mines, you know, because West Virginia, because that's what everybody is a coal miner or something that there's other th- worlds out there. But uh, it's much better if you can see it with your own eyes. Right. Yes, and so how did that transform? Did you talk about that when you went went back? Uh, is that something you talked about? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I would catch the bus back home, you know, on that long freeway like an employee, you know, my a minor, you know, it takes two hours, well, hour and a half in traffic to get to school. It takes an hour and a half to get back home. So that's three hours of your day. Wow. So I didn't even have time to get in trouble, Larry. Because yeah. when I got home, the sun was gone, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was in the house, do your homework, get ready for school tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. And my brothers were already out of school at 2.30, Larry. But they were out of school at 2.30 and home by 2.40. You know, right. and so they're they're running the streets. You know, yeah. I'm on this bus. You know, right. coming up, and I'll tell you um, that experience that I had. I didn't like it at that time. I was too adolescent, too immature to understand what my parents were doing. And to be honest with you, I didn't know if I was going to be a project. They were trying to experiment with me. You know, um, well, guess what? Maybe they were. It worked in my favor because now I have the rubber bands popping off. Right, that I'm not limited by my 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 skin color, my gender, my religion, my political belief. I'm only limited by my inability to either find an opportunity and then go work in that opportunity and, and, and you know do the right thing. You know, yeah. don't take shortcuts. And I found 
a company that gave me a chance, right? And I took that and ran with it based on my, my viewing of the world. So I didn't come in like this when I started my own business. I came and looked at the world like this. Yeah. And the thing is, and let's wrap up this first segment uh, with this, because I don't want to keep you forever, is the fact that we, we need to point out, you were like eight, nine years old, sixth grade, seven, you know, around yeah. in there. And uh, that can happen. Those of y'all that have kids, be careful of the exposures right. that they have, you know, because patterns of thinking and expectation are being set now in right. there, you know, now. But on the other hand, if you came up bad, I, you know, you and I both, because we've been able to recruit, train, work, develop, uh, and help people evolve uh, to where they're running their own, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't stick their fork in their mouth when they came into our business, but then all of a sudden they're running these big organizations and speaking right. on stage and they've got their own big house and cars and vacation homes and everything. We've seen that transformation uh, that can happen uh regardless of where your circumstances where you are that can happen today folks for you if you'll let it you know don't say well you know use this well you know uh, how can i expect anything you know because that didn't happen to me uh uh you know i haven't had those exposures or whatever uh that can that transformation can start in you right now, but it's got to start. If you're going to have a new life, you can start with new expectation of you starting consider bigger possibilities, and you get to the point where you accept and realize. But I got to get after it. You know, I got to I got to look. I got to find out what appeals to me, and stands out what I really want to do. I got to make decisions about what I want my life to be. And I can't, it, they're not going to come, it's not going to come knocking on the door to me, you know. And if you've gone through a restrictive period of your life to where you've been held in place, like Gary was, we forced you to do something, and you're bitter against it, how about taking a step back and see how that might be working to your advantage to there send you, you in another direction? Because, you know, Gary, when I came out of Georgia Tech, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a, a you know an artist photographer, and then I couldn't figure out how to make a career out of that, so I wound up going into architecture. Uh -huh. And then after two, you know, I didn't have any idea what it was, but you know, architecture at uh -huh. Georgia Tech, unbelievable. But then in two, <laughs> then in two years, it took two years for a professor to sit down and tell us the career path uh, after you were the one out of seven who actually graduated in architecture. Uh -huh. Uh, right. You ran that gauntlet, and you were a winner. Your reward was you're going to be basically a draftsman to make a minimum wage until you're 35 years old in architecture. Right. Then, uh -huh. then you could start to make money. Well, I liked right. architecture. I didn't like it that much. And so <laughs> I went and got in construction. But then, uh, you know, mainly because it was the fastest way out of Georgia Tech with a degree. Right. And so I went in, built houses, and I, I was telling Gary Jr. I built it. You know, I built the last place I built houses was up near him, up in Roswell. Uh -huh. uh, uh, but uh, the thing is that you've got to go with what the opportunities in front of you. And uh, after 
killing myself. Yeah, I was in construction. At least I was, you know, married, had had the first child, another one on the way. Uh, I was glad to have a job. But I was working like 80, 90-hour weeks uh-huh. uh, and with a manic depressive guy because he was always under pressure to hit the 10th hit the, uh, of the month with all the bills paid. Right, right. And frankly, he wasn't really that good at managing the money anyway. But he uh-huh. was Mr. Inside, I was Mr. Outside. And all of a sudden, the economy went south. Nobody could get mortgages. And so the home building business cratered in the early 70s. And I'm out of a job. I've been working 80, 90 hours a week, four years out of Georgia Tech. You know, I was like the king of the hill until one morning I went out there at 730 in the morning and said, we ran out of money, man. And uh, you're out. So I'm on food stamps and unemployment. And, And I went nine months before I really found the opportunity I went with. And the humiliation of getting those, you used to have to go downtown and stand in line to get the checks. There was no direct deposit, no sending in the mail. You had to go down. And in my mind, it was like a ceremony where you'd walk down, Gary, to some government, low-paid government employee. You'd wait in line. And to me, it was like you'd have to get down on one knee, put out your hand to accept the check, and she would give you the check and then spit on you like, you know, right. <laughs> that was oh, a feeling, you know, and, yeah, right. and, you, and you know how much that check was weekly, $75. Oh, my God. That was it. You know, but why? you stood in line. You, 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 you just got that line. Still, still, I needed that $75. <laughs> but nine months of looking around to find a, a new thing. But guess what? But, the greatest experience of my life because I wouldn't be have found the industry that allowed me you know, I didn't get off to a fast start, the new industry, because I had a lot to, you know, total new things to learn. But had I not gone through that trauma, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. And, you know, had you not gone through that busing situation, uh, so I just challenge people to look around and say, maybe this misery I'm going through is for a purpose, right? Not just, right. A, I'm right. just not being persecuted for nothing. Yeah. And yeah. so... Talk about, uh, have you, you seen people wake up at, in their 20s, their 30s, or 40s and never been able to get traction? You know, like Ray Kroc never found the McDonald's brothers until he was like 52 years it old yeah. and, uh, or something like that, you know? Yeah, and, the colonel was 60 something, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, the colonel, he was, he got his first, he retired, got his first, pension check, you know, uh, retirement check from the government. He said, no, you know, because country people back then, you know, my, you know, they wouldn't accept any money from the government. You know, they, they would rather die than eat off uh-huh. a check from the government. And he uh-huh. had that mentality. And uh-huh. that's when he started Kentucky Fried Chicken at uh-huh. 65. So these light bulb things can come to you at any point in your life. And do you have any that, that, you've seen that you want to close this thing with or any comment about that that you'd like to uh, close this episode out with? Well, yeah, you know, success is an inside job, Larry. I think most of us were taught through school that it's an outside thing. You know, you got to learn this, read this, know this, do this, and you get this. But really, success is an inside job. So when you, it's not what happens to you, it's what happens within us, right? Yeah. And those experiences set us on course. Get it to do whatever we end up doing. You know, some people use it as an excuse. 
you know, to ruin their life. Let's say, for example, Larry, you know, I could have used my excuse of my dad was, you know, had money, I've never been broke, and that's why I'm in jail, that's why I'm on drugs, because I've never had to struggle, and it's my dad's fault I didn't struggle, and he protected me from struggling. So you could use that excuse, too. You could say, hey, Gary's problems is because his dad helped him out. Or yeah. you could say, Gary's success, because right. his father set him on the right course. So either you make it as an excuse, or you use it as a reason to go win. Regardless of your scenario that you're in right now, either excuse, or reason. I chose the reason route. My brothers chose the excuse route. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much, Gary, for sharing. And uh, uh, I know that uh, wheels are turning while people are listening to this and examining their situation for really breaking out. And even if you've had success, and we'll talk about this in in our next chance, even if you've had success, there's always opportunities you're going to come into where you can double, triple, quadruple where you are today if you've got your eyes open. So thanks so much for sharing, Gary. Look forward to the next time. Yes, absolutely. Look forward to it as well. Thanks for the opportunity, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of Million Dollar Mastermind with me, Larry Wydell. If I've helped you in any way, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. For more information like this, listen to our other Million Dollar Mastermind episodes and check out my Wydell Academy YouTube channel and visit us on WydellOnWinning.com. I'm the Million Dollar Mastermind, and until next time, go, go, go.